0: It was then that the country legends about the snake den gained new vitality. Farmers whispered of the blasphemous uses to which old Edmund Carter the wizard had put that horrible grotto, and later added tales about the fondness which Randolph Carter himself had had for it when a boy. In Carter's boyhood, the venerable gambrel-roofed homestead was still standing and tenanted by his great-uncle Christopher. He had visited there often— and it talked singularly about the snake den. people remembered what he had said about the deep fissure and an unknown inner cave beyond, and speculated on the change he had shown after spending one whole memorable day in the cavern when he was nine. That was in October too, and ever after that he seemed to have an uncanny knack at prophesying future events. It had rained late in the night that Carter vanished and no one was quite able to trace his footprints from the car. Inside the snake-den all was amorphous liquid mud, owing to the copious seepage. Only the ignorant rustics whispered about the prints they thought they spied where the great elms overhang the road and on the sinister hillside near the snake-den, where the handkerchief was found. Who could pay attention to whispers that spoke of stubby little tracks like those which Randolph Carter's square-toed boots made when he was a small boy? It was as crazy a notion as that other whisper that the tracks of old Benidja Corley's peculiar heelless boots had made the stubby little tracks in the road. Old Benidja had been the Carter's hired man when Randolph was young, but had died thirty years ago. It must have been these whispers, plus Carter's own statement to Parks and others, that the queerly aberresque Silver Key would help him unlock the gates of his lost boyhood, which caused a number of mystical students to declare that the missing man had actually doubled back on the trail of time and returned through forty-five years to that other October day in 1883, when he had stayed in the snake-den as a small boy. When he came out that night, they argued, he had somehow made the whole trip to 1928 and back. For did he not thereafter know of things which were to happen later? And yet he had never spoken of anything to happen after 1928. One student, an elderly eccentric of Providence, Rhode Island, who had enjoyed a long and close correspondence with Carter, and a still more elaborate theory, and believed that Carter had not only returned to boyhood, but achieved a further liberation, roving at will through the prismatic vistas of boyhood dreams. After a strange vision, this man published a tale of Carter's vanishing, in which he hinted that the Lost One now reigned as a king on the opal throne of Vad. that, fabulous town of turrets atop the hollow cliffs of glass overlooking the twilight sea, wherein the bearded Infiniuri built their singular labyrinths. It was this old man, Ward Phillips, who pleaded most loudly against the appointment of Carter's estate to his heirs' all-distant cousins, on the grounds that he was still alive in another time dimension and might well return one day. Against him was arrayed the legal talent of one of the cousins, Ernest K. Aspinwall, of Chicago, a man ten years Carter's senior, but keen as a youth in forensic battles. For four years the contest had raged, but now the time for appointment had come, and this vast, strange room in New Orleans was to be the scene of the arrangement. It was the home of Carter's literary and financial executor, the distinguished Creole student of mysteries and Eastern antiquities, Etienne Laurent Marginet Carter had met de Marginet during the war, when they both served in the French Foreign Legion, and had at once cleaved to him because of their similar tastes and outlook. When on a memorable joint furlough, the learned young Creole had taken the wistful Boston Dreamer to Bayonne, in the south of France, and had shown him certain terrible secrets in the knighted and immemorial crypts that burrow beneath that brooding, eon weighted city. The friendship was forever sealed. Carter's will had named De Marginet as executor.